This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUNFM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser, by Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors in downtown Bemidji, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Gun Safes, and Pine Ridge Service. Well, today at Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we have Dave Rave back in. I was thinking it was about a year ago this time we had you in for about the same thing, if I recall. Right about the same time last year. And uh, the big thing last year was we were introducing the deer plan. Okay, yes, and so that's now been in for a year, and but it's the same thing. You've got your deer information meeting coming up. A, a, well, by the time this airs a week from uh, today, it'll be the uh, 21st, 6 to 8 at Bemidji City Hall. Correct. So um, what is your goal, and what do you normally like to do with these meetings? Well, you know, in the deer plan, one of the things that we made clear was that we wanted to get more information or more input from our stakeholders, and our stakeholders are the deer hunters and the grouse hunters and all the other sportsmen out there. And uh, so our big uh, goal for these meetings is just to allow sportsmen to come in, ask us questions about deer hunting, give us their input, so that we can use their input as a, as a source of, uh, of um, setting our regulations. Okay. So you're the uh, area uh, wildlife manager? Yes, I'm the area wildlife manager for Bemidji. Uh, and my area c- includes uh, parts of, of uh, Beltrami County, about everything from Waskish south in Beltrami County, uh, I, I, everything north of, uh, of 200 um, and okay. 71 as it cuts across towards uh, um, Itasca State Park in Hubbard County and all of Clearwater County. Okay. And your, your purview is to make sure the deer populations are where we need them to be, uh, everything's healthy, things are working, all that stuff. Right. So uh, my, my job is to... Manage habitats. Uh, I manage uh, the, the a lot of WMAs. I have fifty WMAs, wildlife management areas that I manage, uh, and we manage for a variety of species: grouse and deer, and a, a variety of non-game species as well. Uh, we also have lots of public land here, uh, state public land that uh, we help manage, and uh, we work with the forestry to uh, manage those lands as well. Granted, there's a lot of people who like to hunt a lot of different things, just like there's a lot of people who like to fish a lot of different things. But really, deer is the walleye of the wildlife world, isn't deer it? Deer is the walleye of the, of the wildlife world, yes. That, uh, that's probably the thing that we have more hunters and, and more interest in than just about any other species. Certainly, there have been a lot of things to talk about, uh, the, deer, uh, the deer plan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think the big thing that's been on everybody's mind is CWD, especially since we've recently found one in Crow Wing County, which is outside of your area, of course, but is a lot closer than it used to be. I have to admit that I'm glad that it's outside of my work area, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's way closer than we'd like it, and obviously we'd like it not to be in the state at all, but uh, uh, it's kind of the wave of the future. It seems to be out there. Uh, The DNR is working really hard to try and limit and and slow the spread of the disease, Uh, eliminate it if we can. But once it's in the wild, it's almost impossible to eliminate. Well, you know, we were just talking about zebra mussels before we went on the air, and it's kind of the, again, the wildlife form of an AIS. It is kind of the wildlife form of an AIS, except uh, most AISs don't kill the walleyes. Exactly. That's a good point. They make them a lot harder to, to catch, but they don't kill the walleyes. And... Uh, at this point, there's no real evidence that people can catch CWD, but it's always a concern in the back of everybody's mind that, uh, you know, the, the mad cow over in, uh, in 
England uh, seemed to be linked to, to a similar disease in cows. And so, you know, at this point, we don't have a lot of really good evidence that, that human beings can catch CWD, but uh, people are, are a little bit afraid of that, and, and rightly so. We, uh, we've talked to a couple of people about uh, the situation in Crow Wing County just as it broke. It's been a couple of weeks since then. Do we know anything more? We know that uh, there was a couple of wild deer, uh, at least one wild deer that was uh, found that, from the testing that we did. Uh, we have been doing testing there for the last two years, I believe, because of uh, the possibility of CWD there. There was a deer farm there that actually had a, a deer that tested positive for CWD. Now we have a wild deer that's tested uh, positive for CWD. Uh, their DNR is working on plans for the future for CWD. Uh, I'm not aware of what that is at this point, but uh, there is definitely a plan being formed. Okay. And uh, and this is obviously something that clearly has got to take everybody's in the state's attention, right? Everybody has to be aware, yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, fortunately... The further north you go in the state, uh, they haven't found any CWD up here, and so we're not going to have any, any mandatory testing in this area, in the Bemidji area. But if you live in that uh, Brainerd, Crow Wing County area, you are going to be for, uh, asked to, to sample, have your deer sampled this coming year. So let's talk a little bit about deer farms. For okay. those who are not real familiar, what, what is a deer farm exactly? So deer farms are basically an area is, is like a cattle farm, except that they have deer on them. They usually have, are required to have 10-foot fences to keep the deer in. Uh, and they are captive animals, and the captive animals are bought and traded amongst different deer farms. Um, in the past, they were brought in from out of state and sold across state lines. Uh, I'm not sure of the regulations. The, the deer farms are all governed by the Department of Ag and not by the Department of Natural Resources, which is why, you know, we have very little say in what happens at deer farms. But uh, most of the deer farms are used for things like estrus, which is used uh, as a deer attractant in the fall. People that uh, put out uh, deer um, in dough and heat estrus. Gotcha. Uh, there are people that sell uh, the deer for antlers. They take the sheds in the springtime and they can sell those for ornaments, uh, for making uh, knives and things like that. Uh, they also sell deer um, to farms in other states. They allow hunting inside of fenced areas and they will sell these trophy deer to those and it costs a person a lot of money to go and shoot a trophy deer on these areas. So uh, there's a lot of different uh, uses, and apparently they they can make some money on the on those deer. Okay. They also sell some of them for just the meat. Gotcha. And uh, how many deer farms are there in Minnesota? You know, I really don't know that. There's okay. hundreds of them, but not really? thousands. Okay. Yes. Okay. And and um, the one in Crow Wing had a CWD deer. A it had years a deer ago? that was that was um, found to have CWD uh, a couple of years ago. Yes. Okay. We have deer farms throughout my work area. You know, there there are deer farms up in Clearwater County. There's deer farms in Beltrami County. Um, there's some that are very close to the town of Bemidji. There's one out uh, on Highway Nine that's used to to um, collect deer estrus. So, you know, there are deer farms, and there's you know, so 
I mean, again, it's Department of Ag. It's not you guys, so you, you maybe I don't. I mean, that's a federal versus a state type yes. of thing, and Department of Ag uh, versus the state. And okay. so, is there any cooperation going on? Oh, there is cooperation. Okay, but they set the regulations as far as you know. If they have an escapee, there's certain regulations that they go through the Department of Ag, and the, the people you know are required to go catch them. Uh, if you see, say, if you see a deer that has ear tags, that would be a, a deer from a deer farm. And hopefully it would be inside of a pen. But if you see one out, you should call the DNR or the Department of Ag right away. Okay. Do you know if there's some sort of testing regulations as far as CWD goes from the I, Department I of Ag? I know that they do test these deer occasionally, okay. but I don't know what the yearly regulations are. Okay. So um, you got your meeting, again, uh, coming up on the 21st. Yep. You, you say, you know, in addition to what you get asked questions about, you want to... Find out stuff too. What do you want to find out? Yeah, so you know, we're really interested in in having hearing from people that either didn't weren't very successful last year or people that were very successful last year. Uh, we're interested. Like for example, at one of the meetings, I think it was two years ago at the very first meeting I went to, we had a couple of gentlemen there who had hunted up in uh, 197, which is in my work area, and they had not done very well. So they were you know telling me that they weren't really excited about the increase in the in the the deer harvest that we were thinking about doing increasing the limits or putting extra doe permits out there uh, we also had a guy you know the next guy that talked said that uh, he had had a couple of hundred pound hay bales that uh, the deer wiped out in about two weeks and so he really wanted us to have more harvest <laughs> and so you know those are the kinds of things where we want to hear about those things uh, and then we we use all of that input to make our decisions Okay. So we had a really good, at the very last uh, one of these, I think we had one last fall, and uh, we had a really good uh, discussion on ethics at that particular one. So, you know, it's really good to have these kinds of discussions and talk to people. You know, people came in and asked us about different regulations that we had. You know, the one person said, well, why do you have scopes on, on muzzle loaders? That doesn't seem very ethical to me. It's supposed to be a primitive weapon. And uh, before I could even answer, there was another fellow that stood up and said, you know, I'm 67 years old. I can't see the, the, both of the, the front and the back sights on my muzzleloader, so the only way I can hunt muzzleloader is with a scope. So, you know, he answered my question for me. Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, muzzleloader is a, is a primitive weapon, but are we going to limit people's ability to go hunt with them uh, by not allowing scopes? And it's, those are all issues that are really important. And by getting a lot of people together and talking about it, we can make a better decision. You know, the thing about, uh, you know, when it comes to outdoors fishing and hunting, it's a very passionate thing for people. Extremely passionate. And that's what I love about it. You know, I love about these meetings. People that show up at these meetings are extremely passionate. Most of them are deer hunters, but uh, we've had people come and talk about grouse hunting and, and other things. And uh, they're they're very passionate, And but... We've been very had very good luck at having people be very respectful at our meetings, and uh, we've had really good discussions. So we encourage people to come on out and talk to us about whatever they want to talk about. Well, it's refreshing to know we can have differing opinions in the 21st century and, and still be civil about it. It sure is. It, it really is. And like I said, that we had a very, very good discussion on, on ethics, and we talked about deer numbers and, and regulations, and uh, it was really good. So I look forward to the meeting. More of The Great Outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors.
Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Pine Ridge Service, DS Beverages, Bonded Lock and Key, and Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors. Check us out at kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Podcast One and iTunes. Dave Rave, the Area Wildlife Manager out of the Bemidji office, joining me today. I had a conversation with John here uh, from the regional office. Yeah, John Williams, a couple, a few weeks ago, and discussing, you know, um, numbers were not quite what they thought harvest-wise. What about in the specific area you work? Well, you know, in my specific area, we expected the harvest to be up a little bit, and it was almost dead even. We ha- we harvested, okay. I think, 19 more deer last year than we did the year before. And, you know, when you're talking eight to nine, uh, 7,000 deer, I guess it is, uh, 19 just isn't anything. So it was very, very similar to the year before. Um, up in some of the northwest uh Areas like 209 and 210, um, they were down a little bit. One of them was down like 3% and the other was down about 5%. Statewide, I think we were down about 10 or 11%. And uh, so much depends, you know, in a, in a deer season. It depends on the number of deer that are out there. And I th- first personally thought there was plenty of deer out there last year. Uh, it depends on the weather. We had a beautiful opening weekend last year. And then the next two weekends were cold as, as could be and snow. And so when it's really cold, the deer hunting is probably better, but people aren't willing to sit as long as they are when it's nice. And so they probably kill more deer when they sit longer in their stand because it's really hard to kill them from your living room. <laughs> so um, I think that, that a couple of different things happened last year. You know, I don't want to make excuses one way or the other. I think we shot a lot of deer and I think people had a good time, which is really the important thing. I think we opened last year about the earliest we could possibly open. I think it was the 4th of November. I think we missed the rut by a week. I think uh, the first weekend, the deer really weren't moving as much as they might if they were actually in the rut. We do time the, uh, the, the deer season, the rifle season for the rut, for that exact reason, to have deer moving when uh, people are out there. The second weekend, uh, I saw a couple of really nice bucks. I didn't get a good shot at one, but uh, I think the deer were, were definitely moving more the second weekend, but it was cold. Okay. What about uh, this winter? How are, you, how are we seeing the deer respond? This winter has been a really interesting one. Um, it started out extremely mild. We were super mild right up until the 1st of January. Uh, I th- believe that I had five deer severity index days, and the deer severity index is, a, is something we keep track of. And uh, the deer severity index gets one point for every day when the temperature is below zero, and it gets one day for every day when we have more than 15 inches of snow. And uh, right today, it's sitting at about 110. I looked at it just before I left, and I believe it was 109. An average winter would be about 120. And so to me, this is really quite an average winter. Um, And so I don't expect a lot of deer um, mortality from the winter. The only thing that's different this year is, of course, we have a lot more snow. The snow didn't come till quite late, but there is a lot of snow out there. Yeah. And every year uh, we lose some fawns. It's just a, a given that you're going to lose some fawns. The past two winters have been very, very mild. We end up, when we have mild winters, we have fawns that actually get bred during the winter. Normally a fawn doesn't carry the, uh, a fawn of its own through the winter because they're too small and the, the nutrition isn't out there. But if you have a super mild winter, like we had last year, the fawns will actually carry that, their own fawn and have the fawn. But those fawns usually are born about a month later than everybody else, and they're tiny coming 
into the fall. So we had a bunch of those, and a lot of those are going to die. Mm-hmm. I've, had, uh, I've had people call me and tell me that they're seeing these little tiny fawns at their feeders or walking through the yard that don't look very good, and some of those are going to die. But as far as, uh, as far as my belief is, is that if the snow goes away on time, which means if it's gone by about mid-April, I think we'll be in really good shape. If it lasts until mid-May, then we're going to lose some deer. Okay. I just noticed we have, we have a family that uh, hangs around our place, you know, year in and year out. And, um, boy, they, the last few weeks, they are not moving fast. It's awfully yeah. tough moving. It's, it's really tough to get through. And, uh, and not only do they have tough time going through the snow because it's, you know, it's ener- it takes a lot of energy. Once they get trails made, they can go along those trails. But when, you're, when their trails continue to get filled in and blown in, uh, it's very difficult and it takes a lot of energy. The other thing that happens to them is they have a lot more accidents when we have all this snow. You know, you can imagine if you were to go out and try to run through the woods right now, how many times you'd bang your shin on, mm. on trees and dead, deadfalls and other things. And the deer do the same thing. They bang their legs on things and occasionally they break a leg. And when there's really deep snow, they, they have a lot more tendency to do that. Um, just for example, I, on Monday I got a call and we had a deer that actually had gone down into a window well and we had to go and pull it out of the window well and it you know it was just basically trying to stay along the edge of the house to stay where there wasn't quite as much snow and broke right through the guy's cover over the window well (laughs) so all ended up well in that one but uh it just shows you that when it's deep snow you know weird stuff happens that's how i maneuver around my house these days same way stay as close as you can oh yeah well, let's uh, let's take a little uh, bigger, broader view. Um, what all in this area um, do you do you have to keep tabs on? Well, uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I keep tabs of bears. Okay. You know, we have uh, a pretty good bear population right now in the Bemidji area. Uh, the last couple of years, I've probably had uh, more bear nuisance complaints. You know, people calling me with with bear problems. Uh, than I've had in the past. And so the bear uh, bears are something I, we keep track of. Um, I'm hoping, you know, we're, they're going to talk, the bear committee's going to talk in the next couple of days, and we'll see whether they may actually raise the permits for this area. Hmm. Um, they may not. They, they'll, they'll go through all the hunting season harvest uh, uh, data, and they'll look at what the population's doing. I feel like it's pretty good, but, you know, they'll, they'll use the science to, to make that decision. Uh, so bears are something I keep track of. Um, we have a lot of wolves in this area, and uh, I keep track of the wolves. There's not a lot I can do about the wolves because, obviously, the wolves uh, are being controlled right now by the feds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the federal government has laws that say that we can't harvest wolves at this point. Um, but then there's a lot of non-game species, too, and, uh, and, and fur bearers. Um, things like fishers and uh, martins and bobcats that uh, we keep track of as well. Okay, okay. So, do we? You mentioned grouse. Do we have grouse up here? We do have grouse. We have uh, lots of grouse okay. in in really good years. The last couple of years have not been very good. Um, we seem to have some grouse around in the spring. the The drumming counts seem to be fairly good, and then the uh, but the next year, but the by the fall, the, the there don't seem to be a lot of grouse around. Uh, there's a couple of different theories on that. Uh, it seems fairly obvious that uh, reproduction is not as good as we'd like it to be, or at least recruitment of young birds into the population is not as good as, as we'd like it to be. If you go out and hunt grouse, you'll see grouse, 
But uh, in years when there's not many young birds, it's really hard to harvest a grouse because the adults have been hunted before and they get up and fly a long ways out. And so people that go and they hear birds a lot, but they don't see them. That's because there's a lot of adults. When there's a lot of young birds, the young birds will sit there and wait for you to get up on top of them, and then you can usually harvest a couple of them. Okay. So the last couple of years have not been very good, and we don't know exactly why. Uh, there's one theory that maybe uh, um, a disease is killing those, those birds, West Nile virus, which mm. is a disease that's carried by mosquitoes. Uh, and we have uh, our grouse specialist is actually doing a study on those right now, uh, Charlotte Roy. Okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, it could be a lot of different things. The food for the young birds may not be there. You know, there seems to be less insects in the woods right now. Uh, if you go out and listen for crickets or, or katydids or things like that in the summertime, uh, I, to my ear, there's less of them than there was uh, 10 or 15 years ago. It could just be because my ears are older than <laughs> they were then, but uh, that seems to be uh, a possibility. Okay. Um, another thing that we have a lot of around here is woodcock, and I, we do oh. woodcock surveys in the spring. Uh, we'll be doing woodcock surveys and uh, rough grouse drumming surveys and uh, sharp tail surveys here coming up in the next uh, two months maybe. Okay. would be in the next month if there wasn't so much snow. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's got to be a factor. And um Turkey, though, too. That was I was just going to get to that. Okay. Uh, and now uh, the last couple of really mild winters have really been good for turkeys. And uh, the turkey population in this area went from almost nothing to turkeys pretty much everywhere. And uh, so turkeys' numbers are really quite good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the snow does to those. And uh, that's always been the kind of the limiting factor in turkeys up here is how much snow we have. Uh, they tend to be able to find places where either somebody's feeding them or they can find a cornfield that's still standing or they find a, like a, um, they're often associated with cattle yards right now where they kind of mix in with the cattle and either jump up and eat out of the, out of the cattle food. Okay. Uh, so um, they, they're very good at surviving, uh, but we have had really good turkey numbers the last two years. What I would consider good turkey numbers. Yeah. The turkey population is really growing. And so it's a good time to, to be a turkey hunter. Well, I've heard a lot of people having success. I've certainly seen a lot of turkey, uh, you know, that I never saw before. Yeah. But I, um, I thought I heard there was a certain, like, snow depth number that they think is like a... a that, one, that one I don't know. I okay. don't keep track of, uh, of that for turkeys. But... Uh, I would say that uh, this year it's it's going to be a tough one for them. Uh, I have heard of big bunches of turkeys at people's feeders, okay. and I know a guy that lives uh, out in a jack pine area, and he says he still sees them walking around. And uh, so we'll know in a couple of weeks. You yeah. know, if we start hearing them gobble, then uh, when we know we did, they did well, and some of them will make it. They always do. Now, how much do you deal with ducks and geese? You know, I, I don't deal with ducks and geese as much as I used to. I was uh, actually, for the first 25 years of my career, I was a waterfowl biologist in the research group here okay. in town. And uh, But we do put up uh, some wood duck boxes. We deal with wood duck boxes. We do some waterfowl surveys. I was out on some ringneck surveys last year. Uh, I deal with a lot of uh, goose depredation issues, where uh, especially on lakeshore property where, where the geese come up and and there's droppings all over yeah. in the yards, and so I, I get called to them. We ban the geese every year in this area and throughout the state. So we do a little bit of, of waterfowl work. 
One thing about uh, waterfowl that is so different than anything else is how much cooperation you need because they're flying across continents. Right. They're flying from from everywhere. You know, they're they're coming and you know we deal with the the Fish and Wildlife Service has to deal with uh, three different uh, countries with Canada and United States and and. Uh, Mexico yeah. on just the ones in North America and then there's of course the ones from South America right. and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's uh waterfowl is a very complicated animal to to uh manage and to deal with. And I talk with, you know, Scott Anderson with Ducks and Lemon a lot because yep. they obviously that's that's their deal. And it's like, well, we could have the most pristine state for waterfowl, but if nobody else is following suit then so there really is a lot of cooperation. There's a lot of cooperation that's needed. And and as a wildlife manager, I don't actually manage ducks per se, but I do manage um, water levels. And like uh, Upper Rice Lake, which is south uh, east of Bagley, uh, a couple of years ago we cleaned the channel out on that. And uh, we went from about 200 acres of wild rice in that lake to about 700 acres of wild rice. And um, so the number of ringnecks on that lake really increased after we did that. Uh, this year, we cleaned out the channel on Poposki Lake, and so hopefully the water levels will stabilize on that lake and won't. Uh, because the channel was plugged, they would bounce rather substantially whenever it would rain. And so now, if they can just stay much more stable, it'll help the wild rice and it'll help the aquatic submergent vegetation on that lake. Um, there's other lakes in the area where we've helped, where we've cleaned out cattails and opened up channels between the lakes, and you know, just trying to keep water levels. Uh, stable is really an important thing when it comes to waterfowl lakes, and especially because the lakes in this area are, are wild rice lakes, and that's what mm. they're looking for. Yeah. So what? Uh, how many people in the area office? We have three wildlife people in the area office. It's uh, me and uh, I'm the, the supervisor, and then I have two assistants, Justin Pitt and Amy Westmark. Okay. How many do you need? Uh, you know, I, I'm real happy with three, and uh, <laughs> I think that... Uh, uh, you can always use more people. Uh, there's always things to that. do. Uh, we're real happy to have three. There's other offices uh, in the state that uh, aren't so lucky as wow. to have three people. Um, so, but you know, it all comes down to uh, funding and uh, priorities. And you know, we're we're quite happy. Okay, to have I, a full. We have a full staff. What we consider a full staff. Are you uh, dependent? Like, like the fishing guys are with license sales and that type of thing. Is that how you're mainly yes. funded? Yes, we're okay. mainly Same funded thing. for out of uh, hunting licenses. And okay. as you said, the uh, the deer are really our our go to. We we get a lot of our funding from the deer licenses. We also get some matching funds, um, uh, the the Pittman Robertson funds that come in from the sales of of. Uh, of uh, firearms and ammunition is really big. That that helps us a lot as well. Okay. But between those two, that's most of our money. Which uh, is why uh, we need to encourage that next generation yes. to get out there and hunt and fish, yes. right? And, you know, when people talk about, uh, you know, we don't harvest as much of this and we don't harvest as much of that, you know, there's there's always habitat issues that are, are at stake and there's always wildlife populations go up and down. But we're losing hunters and uh you know, our, our deer hunter numbers went down uh, somewhere in the 5 to 7% last year range. Mm. And, uh, you know, we we love it. We uh, we hope that people in the future continue to love it. And, uh, you know, it's very important to, 
take kids and take women and take other people, anybody that's not uh, a hunter or fisherman, take them out and let them see if they like it. And yeah. I think they will. Well, I, that's where I have really – you mentioned uh, women. That is where I've seen incredible amount of growth and seems to be a whole wave of interest. Uh, more and more women are really getting into um, – a lot of them have always fished because yeah. – but, but hunting has been a little bit different animal. Hunting has but that's been a changing. different angle, and it, but it is changing. And they're yeah. probably the number one growing demographic among, among hunter, uh, hunter people. Uh, we have a, our, our information officer up at the region, Christy Coughlin. She's really good about uh, working with uh, sporting groups to try and get more women out in the field. And so I think she's done a really excellent job of that. Well, I think that – and then that brings daughters yep. into it maybe more Bring than in daughters, the past too. sons, everybody. You know, we, and, and when we're you – know, and, and I'm not here to make a social commentary, but we do have a lot more single parent households and oftentimes that's the mom and if she's involved in the outdoors then that helps a lot too that helps a lot there's you know there's just so many things for kids to get involved with today you know i mean you talk to parents and they're they spend all day and all night running around taking their kids to this and that and this and that and and when there's all these different activities for kids to do it's difficult for them to get involved with the outdoors and uh but you know it's a healthy really nice way to get together with your kids and we would really encourage people to take their kids out and and um, you know the local deer hunters association has been pushing for youth hunts and we're hopefully going to get some additional youth hunts in the area and so i think uh it's good it's all good and we're uh, hoping to continue to recruit but again you know we have more people in minnesota than ever and less hunters and yeah so, you know it's it's going the wrong direction <laughs> Hopefully we get that turned around. Hopefully we can turn that around and uh, we'll do everything we can. All right. And then once again, your deer information meeting. And as you noted, you'll talk about anything at that meeting. Yep. It's a, more of an open house than a meeting. And that's 6 to 8, Bemidji City Hall on Thursday, March 21st. Correct. All right. Dave Rave is the Area Wildlife Manager checking in today. Dave, thanks for stopping in. Love talking to you. Thank yep. you. Thank you very much, Kev. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8.